guys welcome back to break legs um i hope everyone's doing well i'm doing great i'm drinking chocolate milk today i usually have a drink because i'm a professional anyway the point of the episode um so breaking news disney yes disney disney has purchased the rights to adapt the 25th annual putnam county spelling bee into a movie so when i heard this for the first time uh my immediate reaction was why would they do that and i should make a podcast episode about how they should not do that and it's a bad idea now i still don't know why they wanted to do this but i decided that um Something I've been trying to do on this podcast is to promote the idea that adaptations do not have to be the exact same thing as the source material and that we can all take a deep breath and be adults about it and accept that adaptations are a different thing and that they should be allowed to be a different thing. And I don't know why that keeps coming up. That's come up like a lot on this podcast already and I'm not sure why, but it's just a recurring thing. So I thought that instead of making an episode on why Disney should not do this, I am actually going to make an episode that consists of my guide for Disney on how to adapt this show to film because I'm very very familiar with the show I was actually in this show two two years ago a year and a half ago so I'm I'm extending an olive branch to Disney a company with whom I have so many problems and I am going to give them my pro tips and advice on what they can do to make this film go well and I want to be very clear to you guys yes I do think this is one of the most challenging musicals anyone could ever choose to adapt to film and I have no idea why they would pick it but we're going to we're going that's not what we're here to talk about today (laughs) if you're not familiar with Putnam or I may call it Putnam I may call it Spelling Bee if you're not familiar with the show it is a show about a spelling bee that's all (laughs) There are six kids in the spelling bee. They are named Chip, Leith, Marcy, Logan, Olive, and Will Barfay. They're all very interesting children. They have, they're quirky. Um, <laughs> then there's also a host of the bee named Rona, the word announcer named Doug, and there is also a comfort counselor who like gives them juice boxes when they get eliminated. And the bee happens. It's literally just the whole show is just the course of the bee. There's some cutaway scenes, but we just follow the proceedings as each kid gradually gets eliminated and then one of them wins. Um, So my first piece of advice to Disney is that you have to, you have, a lot of this might be in the second person. I wrote a lot of it in my notes in the second person and I might fluctuate wildly. Um, You have to build a fourth wall because... The 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. I keep hitting my microphone. (laughs) You have to build a fourth wall because the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee as it exists in the source material does not have a fourth wall. And I say that and I mean that literally. Because like, when we say the phrase breaking the fourth wall, I think for a lot of people they think about characters inside a fictional world knowing that they are characters inside a fictional world. Like Deadpool is the classic example where he knows he's in a comic book or he knows he's in a movie. And the characters in Spelling Bee do not know that they are characters, but in a more specific sense, like, the actual fourth wall that the phrase breaking the fourth wall refers to is the imaginary wall between the characters and the audience. So in a theater, this wall is the edge of the stage, um, and then in a film, this wall is the camera. And it's invisible to us, but it's visible to the characters because they cannot look out and see the audience since we don't exist in their world. 
So when Deadpool breaks the fourth wall, in a literal sense, that refers specifically to him staring into the camera at the audience and talking to them. So if you've never seen Spelling Bee, the whole conceit of the show, as I said, is that it's about a spelling bee. And you as an audience member are part of the audience of the spelling bee. There is not a wall at the edge of the stage. Like, to use theater jargon, the set extends beyond the proscenium to the point that the house is literally a set piece. Like, Olive saves a chair in the audience for her father, Chip walks around the house selling candy, and... The important part is that conceptually, the audience is present within the world of the story. There is literally no fourth wall. We almost become characters in the show. I mean, some of us literally do. And that is super rare, even in live theater. Personally, I don't think I've seen another show that's done that to the same degree. I'm sure they exist, but few and far between. And it's a very cool part of the show. I think it's really cool, especially uh, with the audience participation and everything. But... This is an aspect of the show that cannot make its way into the movie because movies cannot break the fourth wall in this same sort of constant way. It won't work. Deadpool is the notable exception in film to breaking the fourth wall, but the reason it's okay for Deadpool to break the fourth wall is that he knows he's doing it, um, so there's a reason for him to do it, but for the characters in Spelling Bee, they don't know they're breaking the fourth wall because there's not a fourth wall to break. Um, so that means in a movie setting, it would just be confusing. And I hear what you're asking me. You're asking me, Avery, if it's fine on the stage, then what makes it so weird and confusing in a movie? And I cannot explain this to you except to point you towards the 1995 film adaptation of Shakespeare's Othello. You may know that Shakespeare liked to have a thing in his plays called soliloquies, uh, wherein characters basically uh, gave it aside and spoke directly to the audience as a way to tell the audience what they were thinking. And in the 1995 Othello film, which I was forced to watch in 10th grade English class, the actor who played Iago had some soliloquies uh, where he just stared directly down the barrel of the camera and spoke to the audience. And I cannot express to you using words in the English language how uncomfortable and weird this made me feel. I think it's just because in a movie, I am so not used to people looking at me, but I hated it. It just, it did not work for me. And I can't imagine that it could work in the Spelling Bee movie either. Hey, it's me again. I'm editing this episode and I actually have an additional comment about the reason why this won't work. I know I'm beating the dead horse, and but it just wouldn't make sense because the way that Spelling Bee works on stage is that you are sitting in a seat, which becomes part of the set of the show and you become an audience member who is sitting in that seat in the universe. The film is incapable of giving you that level of immersion unless for some reason they would want to shoot it all from one angle from a seat in the audience, which they won't do because that would be stupid. So the film can't give you that experience and they will have to at some point show the audience within the universe, which will automatically break it. And so even if they wanted to do like a cheeky little nod to it and have somebody look into the camera or wink at the camera or something at some point, that's not going to make sense because now you're just looking at the camera for no reason. Like it doesn't, it loses its purpose within the story and that would be bad. Anyway, back to me from three days ago. There's a reason we don't see movie characters break the fourth wall, usually, except for comedy. And it's because it's really weird when played seriously. And Spelling Bee is a comedy, but the lack of the fourth wall is not a part of the comedy. It's just a cool part of the storytelling, which will not work in the film. So 
that is my first piece of advice. We have to let go of that aspect. It pretty much completely, we have to let go of it. And I do just want to say, I'm sure that some of you are thinking, you stupid idiot, they wouldn't do that anyway. But I want to say in my defense, I have no trust for Disney. I have no trust for most people adapting a musical to film. And I especially have no trust for the development of this property, both because it, I think it will be very challenging to develop and also because the team of people doing this movie is the same team of people who made Aladdin 2019. The only way Aladdin 2019 succeeded completely was that it was a very beautiful and pretty film. That was its only complete success and Spelling Bee is not a story that needs to look good. I would actually call that the lowest priority for this film um, and I am extremely concerned. So I will be stating some things that may seem obvious to you but I want them on record. Next we're talking about Spelling Bee. And we've been talking about spelling bee. Oh my god. Okay. Next, we're talking about audience participation. So, again, if you're unfamiliar with the show, before the show begins, a couple of audience volunteers are chosen. Like, they sign up in the lobby and they're given instructions. And then at the beginning of the show, they get up on the stage and become spellers within the universe of the bee. So, they actually get up on the stage and spell words. And over the course of the first act, they get eliminated. This is a big part of the show. A lot of it is built, a lot of the first act is built around the volunteers, and we obviously have to cut it for the movie because that doesn't make any sense. The question that remains is, do you fill the space of the audience volunteers with characters or do you simply cut that? And I am very conflicted about this because if we cut them, we have to cut the goodbye songs, which are so iconic. Well, and not all of them, but we have to cut, like, the beginning because they come back uh, with, like, Leaf in Chip's Eliminations, but we have to cut a lot of the content of the goodbye songs, which I don't want to do because they're so iconic and good. And also, the audience participants do give us a lot of things to happen in the first act because... We need, you know, 40 minutes of show before Chip gets eliminated. It might not be 40. I don't know. I was literally in this and I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it also breaks up the monotony of people walking up to the mic and spelling a word and sitting down when some people get eliminated in the middle. But on the other hand, cutting them does give more room for character development of the main cast and it does make Chip the very first eliminated, which he refers to being the first eliminated and chips lament and also a lot of this stuff with the audience volunteers is only fun because they're audience volunteers like it could get boring if they weren't so i don't actually have a one way or another recommendation right now for disney on this my official recommendation is either way you go it is restraint um so if you include them if you include characters within the story to fill the place of the audience volunteers, do not make them too interesting because they will leave quickly and they cannot be allowed to overpower the main cast. And then also cut or shorten the prayer of the comfort counselor because it's only funny because it's an audience volunteer. And if you do cut all of the content around the audience volunteers, that will give you more room to develop the principal cast. But I would caution you against getting too extensive with flashbacks and cutaways to non-B events. I think cutting away occasionally is good and I think the amount that it is in the show is great, 
but the action still needs to completely center on the bee and it can't get we can't allow it to get too mucky what i would instead lean towards would be more interpersonal interaction between the principal cast like with each other also i would say if I were writing this film, I may have a temptation to add a cutaway scene for uh, Panch, Rona, and Mitch because all the kids have them, but they don't. I would say do not. <laughs> I would say in general, the adults are not who needs to be expanded upon, and I I don't think anyone wants to see a flashback to Mitch Mahoney in jail, okay? Thank you. <laughs> I think in the end, it will make more sense to cut the audience volunteer content because they'll probably be looking for things to cut for time anyway. Um, with most movie adaptations of musicals, they get a little shorter. So if you're looking, if that's a concern for you, Disney, if you're looking for things to cut, I would say cut the volunteers and as little else as possible. Because I think the show is very tight. I don't think there's a lot of fat to be trimmed. The next section is on content by which I mean a lot of people were confused and concerned when they heard that Disney had purchased the rights to adapt this show because Putnam as it exists on the stage is a little bit more adult than Disney usually chooses to make their films but I have to strongly advise against sanitizing this show for several reasons. First of all, it will make original fans angry, which they already are. And then second of all, and this is sort of about the audience of the film, I think if you sanitize it, that is a sign that you want children to watch this film. That is a sign that you think that young people and a family-friendly audience is is the audience for this film. This is not a show for kids. This cannot be a movie for kids. It could barely get away with being a family-friendly movie targeted towards older kids because it explores topics that kids would not find understandable or interesting. Like, the children in this show are characterized in a way that caters to adults who are looking back on childhood. There is a self-awareness in the way the kids are written that is not interesting to kids who are still that age. Some of the things are too big, like Olive's family situation, I think is a little outside the scope of what a lot of children will feel comfortable tackling. There's a lot of things that the audience has to fill in about for example, Olive, like the the way that you see everything in these kids' lives from their perspective and their limited understanding because they are children. As an audience member, you have to hear her talking about how her dad is late, but he's going to come and see what she fantasizes about in the I Love You song. And you have to fill in those blanks for yourself. And an older person is going to understand and grasp that pretty easily it's not super complicated but I think it's a little too complicated for children and not even too complicated it's just not the type of stories that a kid wants to experience Olive's family issues Logan has a sort of tonally similar thing where she has this deep horrible feel of fear of failure those are things that kids who are the age of these characters a lot of them will be experiencing things like that but the way these stories are told it's not like Logan has a terrible fear of failure and this is a story about how she uh, works through that it's a story about how she has a terrible fear of failure she continues to have it 
and it doesn't get fixed and she gets eliminated from the spelling bee and then she her character is finished and that's not what you tell a kid who is experiencing a similar thing to that but even with Olive like kids whose parents are having issues that's a story that we've heard told a lot to try and help kids whose parents are having issues but spelling bee is not written to help children who are working through issues it doesn't offer solutions and that's going to be challenging for children because some of them won't even be able to connect with the uh, with the kids on screen because they're not they don't have that level of awareness and even the ones who do may not like it or feel comforted by it which makes them a bad audience for this and I think to remove things like that is you're going to lose the parts of the show that are impactful stuff like that and then also just the humor of this show it is not children's humor and it's not like sophomore humor either it's very smart it's very wry when we did this show at our school my my theater teacher our director said this is this was the smartest show she had ever done at a high school and that's built into every part of it because that just the style of humor which carries across the whole show because it is a comedy it's not built for little kids and if i think if you try to remove too much of that and make it more kiddish then you're going to put it in a very weird, like, limbo where nobody's going to be happy with it. In terms of specific guidelines, there is a song where Chip Tolentino sings about how he got eliminated from the spelling bee because he had a boner. And I swear, if you cut my unfortunate direction, parentheses, Chip's lament, close parentheses, I will slit all of your throats. It is too good. It is too iconic. You cannot cut it. You may cut the cursing in the show if you insist, but only for comedic effect, and I'd prefer you didn't. And also, you absolutely may not remove the cameo that the Lord God, Jesus Christ, has in this show. Does this make the movie PG-13? Yes. Does it explore religion in a way that Disney is usually very scared of? Yes. But that is the right choice. I would actually point you again towards Deadpool. Deadpool is apparently going to be a recurring theme in this episode. Remember when Marvel was making the Deadpool movie and Marvel had a history of never making their movies more severely rated than PG-13, but then they were making Deadpool into a movie and they said, well, this one should be R because that's the spirit of it. Um, and that was the right choice. I think that is the choice for Spelling Bee is to make it PG-13. I just want to say that also that I understand that this is the one thing that Disney is the least likely to listen to me on, but I'm simply sharing my knowledge and they may choose to heed me or not. And also for the record, I know, I understand that it is absolutely unimaginable that they will not cut the scene with Jesus. And I look forward to seeing the way they will replace him because it will definitely fail and not be as funny. So the next section is on the age of the characters. So Spelling Bee is a musical about children. They're quite young, but they are played by adult actors on the stage, and that's part of it. Here is my advice to Disney on who to cast in these roles. Number one, you cannot cast actual children. For one, I'm just worried about the skill level that a, you know, little, that like a nine-year-old could bring to the, to the screen. Um, I'm worried about the content because as I said, this show is not a show for kids. I will not be relenting on that point. And the characters in this show are obviously children, but they are not written childishly. I hope that makes sense, but it's not, you, there's an awareness that you have to have. And then also, I just don't want to see an actual, like, 12-year-old sing Chips Lament. I'm concerned about that. Also, this may just uh, be a me problem because I, I am not easily swayed by kid actors sometimes. And some of these kids, I'm worried that they'll get very annoying. <laughs> However, 
you also cannot cast fully like 30 year old actors there is a precedent in theater for actors playing way outside their actual age but that same precedent has not been set in film to anywhere near the same degree and it will just confuse people and i think it's because of the difference between the mediums like i talked a little bit about this in my billy Ep elliott episode but the suspension of disbelief in live theater is very very high and so there are things you are willing to accept because you understand that it does not accurately reflect the real world around you but in a movie, you expect to see the real world in a more literal sense. And I that's why I don't think that having adults play these characters is going to play right on a screen. So what is my solution? Well, my solution lies somewhere in the middle. And this may be controversial, but I am proposing teenagers. As in, we age up the characters and then have accurately cast actors who are teenagers. I think the youngest we can get these kids that I'll be happy about is like 14, maybe 13. My inspiration, honestly, when I was thinking about this, I was trying to think about stories about children that are stories for adults. And I was thinking the, the thing that entered my mind was It, Stephen King's It, the 2017 film adaptation. And they were like 13, 14 in that. And I think it worked. I think that's a good place to hit because they're still young. Because I think like an old, I think like some, I think my age is like, I think like 17 is too old. But I think like eighth grade, I could still believe that they were in a spelling bee. And I think it's going to take care of the skill level and it's going to take care of the content concern. But I want to say that the window is very narrow. And Disney, I need you to listen close. I need you to listen very close to me and, and hear and understand me right now, okay? When I tell you that they are teenagers, I mean that you cast teenagers and you cast young teenagers this is not a dear of Hansen situation because high school seniors aren't doing spelling bees either they need to stay within a pretty close range and i think ideally for me they're all in like the eighth grade logan Peak can be a little younger uh because that's part of it and chip can be a little older but I think they all need to stay within a pretty close range and it actually will sort of duplicate the feeling of having them um like on stage the fact that they're all adults sort of puts them on a level playing field if that makes sense with like the power balance even with the in-universe adults too uh and I think getting all the kids to be mostly the same age might duplicate a little bit of that not that it's a super important part of the story but I just thought it was interesting now, moving on to the next piece of advice. You may remember I said earlier that the developmental team for this film is the same as the developmental team for Aladdin 2019, or at least includes several of the same people as, as the Aladdin remake. A fun fact about me is that I have seen Aladdin 2019 twice because I was in a journalism class in the 10th grade and we were required to write a critical review of this film as we were exploring different types of journalism. I wrote an extremely critical review of this film and one of my biggest problems with it was that it radiated this extremely strong YA energy. That seemed to be their solution with this film because they were sort of trying to make it for children and sort of trying to make it for adults with nostalgia and they landed on like very YA and it was a bad solution. <laughs> and I want to be clear that I do not have any problem with, with a story having a very strong YA genre energy. Sometimes it's perfect. Like this is exposing myself, but 
One of my favorite books is Carry On by Rainbow Rowell, which has perhaps the strongest YA energy of anything I've ever read or watched in my entire life. And that's precisely the reason that I find a great joy in it, because it's tacky and dramatic and unashamedly. But Aladdin was the wrong film to give a strong YA energy because it just became confused. And so I want to make it clear that Putnam is also the wrong film to give a YA vibe. Like, it's not for teens, and you cannot lean into that or you will lose the whole structure of it. And I am fully and completely aware that I just told you to make these characters teenagers, but we do need to keep in mind that this is not a film for teenagers. There are many teenagers who will like this film, and that is fine. That is great. That's more people who are going to come see your movie. But it is not a young adult film because when people think they're making a young adult film, they tend to lean into the genre in a way that naturally becomes a little more simplistic and a little more dramatic. And the thing about Putnam is that it is not simplistic. It is very intelligent and it also... While it is extremely theatrical, it is not a dramatic show. It actually has a lot of restraint in the parts that could be the most dramatic. Like Chip getting eliminated because he gets hard, like that's obviously very played up because it's silly. But things like Leaf and Logan getting eliminated, the little like sort of budding romance between Olive and Barfay, the I love you song, they're, they're handled very delicately and with a lot of heart. And that has to stay because that's where the power is in this show is it's in these weird kids who are very odd but extremely, extremely human and not blown out of proportion. You cannot blow it out of proportion and that is why I want to caution you against making it too teeny. Like, if, if you watch this movie and start to get YA vibes off of it, you've gone in the wrong direction. Moving on. Oh, this next section starts with a little anecdote. So, as I was preparing this episode, I consulted a couple different people in my life, as I usually do, to get their opinion on this subject. And I was talking to my dear father, and he said to me something along the lines of, well, you know they're going to pick one or two leads and focus way more on them. And this is something that had not even ventured to cross my mind as I was preparing this episode. And this is because, to me, Spelling Bee is indisputably an ensemble show. Like, personally, I have always thought of it as having six main characters. And logically, I understand that they leave over the course of the show. And, like, for example, Chip is less important and has a smaller part than, like, Barfay. But the core of the show still lies in all of these kids as one united piece. For one, it just makes the show more interesting because each of the characters are very developed, which I think is something you would want to preserve. For two, it drives home the idea that everyone is important even if they don't win, which I would say is a major theme of the show. And for three, by not prioritizing any one character over another as long as they are still in the running, it very effectively takes you on this ride where you don't know who is going to win. Like, if the film focuses particularly on Olive or on Barfay from the beginning, the audience is going to know that they're the most important ones very early on. Chip getting eliminated, Marcy getting eliminated, they will not have that level of surprise or impact because we'll already have 
predicted that they're not as important. And also, we won't care about the other kids as much, which you need us to care about the other kids or else there's a bunch of time spent on them that's gonna be boring. <laughs> so that's very important, Disney. You need to put an equal amount of effort and focus on each of the six children. Do not throw out Logan and Leaf and Chip and Marcy in favor of Olive and Barfay because they are all important and you can't lose sight of them until they get eliminated from the bee. I have a last section that's titled miscellaneous advice um, that are were kind of too small to have their own bullet points, but um, here they are. I'm just gonna run down the list. Logan Schwartz and Grubinier, who you may know as a main character of this show, has two gay fathers and that they're like part of it. They're characters in it. Disney, look me in the eyes. Do not market Dan and Carl like you are doing something revolutionary and the world should be proud of you because that's what Disney does every single time they have the faintest whiff of a gay character on screen. Do not do that. Everyone will get annoyed at you again like they do every time because you never deliver. Similarly, do not cut down their scenes because you will be crucified. And again, similarly, do not needlessly expand their scenes to show them off. I think in general, this show is very well balanced and you should not, you should as much as possible avoid messing with the distribution of screen time, unless you're very confident, which I'm sure you are. Um, next thing, I think ideally it should be set in a gym and not in a theater. I think setting it in a theater or auditorium would be a really cute nod to the show's origins, but I think the vibes of a gym are better and work better for the story. Next thing, do not linger too much on the audience. I think that could become weird very quickly because I talked earlier about how the audience is like a character in the story. They made the audience in the B the audience of the show, which gave us a very passive role in the story. So I don't, I just don't want the audience, they're not the focus and I don't want you to get lost focusing on them. So the, just remember that the audience does not play an active role in the story. Don't let anyone sing in the audience. That's what, that's my main point. Um, the cutaways, the little cutaway scenes like Leaf's phone call and like the cystitis scene should cut away to different locations, but the character's songs like I'm Not That Smart and Woe Is Me should stay at the B. Um, you can change the lighting and stuff to denote that they're in a dream, whatever, but don't move them for those. Including the I Love You song. For some reason, I can just really picture the I Love You song being put in a different place, and I hate that for some reason. Because Olive is imagining that her parents came to the B. Like, I could very much see someone shooting Olive's mom in India or whatever, but it's not her actual mom singing. It's Olive imagining that her mom is singing to her because she came to the B. So it's not, like, don't do that. <laughs> It has to stay, it has to stay in the gym. And do not show her parents except in that song. I think you may have a temptation to have more Olive parent content, but no, I don't want to see them except then. If you're going to cast any big ticket names in this show, make them adults, make them Rona or Panch or Mitch or the parents. This one is very important. Listen close, okay? Get kids who can sing. The music in this show is really hard. And you can simplify it to a point. Like when we did the show at my school, we were not good enough singers for this. And so our music director like simplified some of the harmonies. You can do that and you can simplify to a point, but only to a point. And the best case scenario is that you don't have to simplify. So if you can, get kids who are good at singing. Also related point, 
The music is really good in this show and it's really important. So I would implore you to cut as little of it as possible and I mean that seriously. Every character in this show gets a song, except for Panch, but who cares. They all need to keep their songs or else it will become unbalanced and I, the, the balance is very important. And also, all of the group numbers are good too. Keep as much of it as you can. I would also caution against adding any songs, but I know you will add a, at least one anyway to try to get the best original song Oscar or whatever. My hope would be that you cut the uh, Goodbye 1, 2, and 3 and then Prayer of the Comfort Counselor and then add a new song for Mitch. I think that's my dream scenario because that would be taking away his song, but then add a new one back in. But something similar. I think it. I think the purpose it serves is very good, but obviously if you cut the audience volunteers, then you can't. Um, do not add any more than there is to the romance subplot. People get so excited when there's a romance subplot in anything, and I just, it is very good the way it is, which it doesn't take up that much of the show and too much of it will become creepy because this is a movie for adults and the romance is between children so additionally do not advertise it as a romance i can't imagine you would but just don't okay <laughs> oh and also i hear you asking me should we include the dream ballet yes you should my last point i think this is my last point is that i would urge you to not try very hard to make it feel more current because it it doesn't have to be a period piece it could be a period piece you could say it is 2005 it probably you shouldn't because i feel like it would be weird how do you get it how do you get to stating the date i don't know but i think sort of freezing it in around 2005 i believe is the year it was on broadway i think that's a good choice because i think the sort of brightly colored classic image of childhood that it presents at least on the surface, in terms of the aesthetic, it does feel a little, like, not exactly modern to me, but I think that works well for the show, and I think that's the right choice. So, you could make it a period piece if you wanted, and, like, straight up say it's 2005. I don't think you have to do that. It might be confusing to do that. Like, it might come to a point of, like, what was the purpose? Honestly, you could even set it earlier, I'm not telling you you should do this, but if you did make like an 80s Putnam, I wouldn't be mad at you about it. Um, <laughs> but I don't think you need to be conscious of the, well, this doesn't look like 2021. I don't think you should have that idea in your head because again, it's not for the kids of today. It's for adults. There's there's a sort of baked in nostalgia and not it's not like a show about nostalgia. It's no A Christmas Story, but there is an inherent nostalgia because it's a show for adults and it's about children. And so you they naturally are thinking about their childhood. And so I think it's okay if it feels a little bit set in the past. Like it's, it's kind of timeless. And I think that's good if you can't pin down exactly where it is. The one thing is Logan's monologue. And this is kind of tricky because um, when this show was on Broadway, the monologue was changed. It was rewritten weekly. And that's something that you can't do <laughs> in a movie. I do think it has to be something current unless... Unless you do choose to have a period piece, which I think would be a really interesting choice and I would kind of like to see. If you do choose to make it a period piece, then it can be something from that time period. But if you if you choose to make it timeless, then it does still, the monologue does have to still be something very current. It needs to feel current. 
um, to people in the movie theater who are watching it, you know, months after you filmed it, which I, that, I know that's challenging, but that is the one piece that it's, the reason it's interesting is because it's current. Like, the rest of the show is not really grounded in a particular time, but that one has to be current. Okay, I'm done. Those were my pieces of advice. Disney, I hope you're listening. What's the, um, hold on. Let me Google the CEO of Disney. Bob Chapik or Chapek or Chapik. I hope you were listening, Bob. I think this show is going to be tricky to adapt to film. And I think we need to be careful. But anything is possible. And I could see this being good. I genuinely could. I think also just while we're here, I would like to start a campaign to cast John Hodgman as Panch. I don't know why, but that, like, one of the first things that entered my brain when I heard that this show was getting adapted to film was that John Hodgman should play Panch. So I want to also put that on the table. But anyway, that's my last thing. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Silt for this podcast's intro and outro music. You can email me at breaklegspodcast at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at breaklegspod. And as ever, I hope everyone has a wonderful day! Exclamation point heart emoji.